If you would open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This morning we, we read the account from Luke chapter 1 of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and uh, giving her the announcement that she was going to bring forth Jesus. But I want to uh, look at that account again, but I also want to look at the story that immediately precedes it. And tonight will be a bit of a continuation of this morning. As we saw, three, uh, three ways in which God fulfills his word, even in this short passage here this morning. And because God fulfills his word, his word can be trusted. He is, he is trustworthy, and we can know and put into practice and believe in his word. Amen. And so I want to read to you the account of the story immediately preceding uh, what we read this morning. And they're similar accounts. And I believe that Luke puts them together the way he does for a reason. And so we're going to look at the, the first one and we'll also look at, again, the account of him coming and making the announcement to Mary. But the first announcement that, he met, that we see of, of, of Gabriel coming in Luke chapter 1 is he's making the announcement of John the Baptist being born. Now, and I, I told the kids, I told you I was going to quiz you tonight. Do, do any of you know the name of John the Baptist's dad? I said the kids. I, I know. <laughs> the adults, you don't get any points. Yosef? Zachariah, that's right. Give Yosef a big hand. That's right. Good job. Got some Bible scholars in the house. Any, any of the kids know? Kids. Now, I said kids. Any of the kids know John the Baptist's mother's name? Elizabeth. That's right. Who was that? Ruthie. Good job, Ruthie. Good. Wonderful. That's great. So... Does anybody know what tribe Zechariah was from? No? Asher, that's a good guess. No? Yeah, shout it out. He, he, was, a, he was a priest. Maybe that'll help you. He was a priest. Levi, there you go. He was a Levite, yes, okay. So let, let's read this account. Uh, as, as, him, as, as uh, Zechariah ministering as a priest, he's there ministering in the temple. Him and his wife are, are advanced in years. It tells us this. It doesn't tell us how old that they were, but they were beyond the, the uh, age of bearing children. And they were not able to have a child because his wife was barren. And so uh, they, they weren't able to have a, a child and in verse 8, it says, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So this is a very high honor to be able to go in uh, before the Lord and to burn incense there in the temple. So Zechariah is chosen for this priestly duty. And it says, verse 10, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so he goes in to minister before the Lord. The people stay outside to pray. 
In verse 11, it says, while he was ministering, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell down on his face. And so this startles him. This is shocking to him. He's there ministering. He's there burning incense. And he's in there by himself. And all of a sudden, there's somebody in there with him. It would be a very startling thing. This isn't just any normal somebody. It's not just, you know, another priest walked in. But this is an angel that he sees standing there. It shocks him. He, he falls down. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. God's going to answer your prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Let me just say an aside right here. If there's ever any question that the unborn child in the womb is human and alive and its own person, we only need look to this passage that tells us that John the Baptist, even in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what's in the womb is a human. It's not just a clump of cells. It is a unique human being with a soul that can even be filled with the Spirit of God. Moving on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so the angel tells Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. Elizabeth's going to have a son. You're to call his name John. He, he's going to be the one who proceeds the Messiah, who, who gets the people ready to receive the Christ. This is exciting news that Zechariah hears from the angel. But notice here Zechariah's response in verse 18. And this is what I want to draw a contrast between Zechariah's response and Mary's response. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and and remaining, but, but he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. 
And then immediately following this account is the account we read this morning of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And I, I believe that Luke is putting these together in a, in, a, in, a, in a unique way to draw a contrast between the two responses. Uh, six months of time pass in the text, but it goes from one verse to the next. Let's, let's look here quickly at, again, this passage about Mary. In verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one of the Lord, God is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will these things be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I believe these two stories are put together the way that they are by Luke, not by accident. But specifically, they, to, to draw a contrast between the way Mary responds and the way Zechariah responds. A very similar occurrence where the angel, the same angel, Gabriel, comes. And he comes with an announcement, a similar announcement to both of them. He comes and he says that, that there's going to be a miracle that takes place. And the, the result of this miracle will be a miracle baby. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it will be... A, a baby born of natural means. However, God's going to intervene and open Elizabeth's womb. On Mary's behalf, it'll be a baby of supernatural means where the Holy Spirit uh, uh, moves upon her and causes the Christ to be conceived inside of her. But I, wanna, I want you to notice the, the, the difference between the way that they respond. We see the response of Zechariah in verse 18, where Zechariah says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. What Zechariah is saying is, I need a sign. Show me a sign. Give me a sign. What, what can you show me? How, how can I know that this is going to happen? How, what, what, give me a sign, show me something that I can know that what you're saying is true. And, and in response to this, the angel, Gabriel, you can, it seems as if he's a little bit miffed. I don't know if angels get miffed, but I, I see Gabriel here saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, what more of a sign do you need? 
I'm the angel Gabriel here. Hello? What, is this not enough for you? So, so this is Zechariah's response. And notice Mary's response. Mary does ask a follow-up question. She does say, how is this possible because I'm a virgin? But Mary doesn't say, how can I know this? What kind of sign will you give me? What will you show me? Instead, Mary resolves in her heart and, and she ends by saying these beautiful words that, that we all need to have this attitude. Verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Notice the, the, the contrast. What sort of sign will you give me? What can you, how can you promise this to me? What, what sort of thing can you show me that, 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 to prove to me that God's word is true? Versus Mary who says, I am submitting to your word. I am choosing to believe your word. These are the two responses. One is a response of unbelief. The other is a response of faith and belief and trusting in the sovereign word of God. So those are the two responses, but look at the two results. Zechariah, he ends up with a rebuke. He's rebuked by the angel. He's rebuked by the angel, and, and essentially, the sign that's given him is you won't be able to talk until the baby's born. You want a sign, Zechariah? I'm just going to shut your mouth for the next nine months. There's your sign. He receives a rebuke, which, which again, there's some, there's some principle here that I think we should pay attention to, and that is that unbelieving voices should be silenced. We, we shouldn't fill our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our ears with the voices of those who do not believe. We talked a little bit about this this morning, how the, the ten unbelieving spies turned the whole heart of a nation when instead those ten voices should have been silenced. The nation, the people of Israel should have said, hey, we just walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. If God wants to give us this land, he can do it. But they didn't silence the voice of the unbelievers. Instead, they let that... that that, that fear spread throughout the camp. The angel silences Zechariah. You know, sometimes I think we could self-silence if, if we don't have anything of faith to say. You know, my mom used to say, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And she used to say that to me a lot, in, in, interestingly. I don't understand that. I think we could, we could just as easily say, if you don't have anything of faith to say, don't say anything at all. If it's an unbelieving voice, if it's an unbelieving thought, if it's full of doubt and, and fear and not trusting God and not trusting his word, let's be like Zechariah and, and be silenced. Let's also silence the voice of unbelief in our life. You know, we, we live in a world that has so many voices and has so many ways of communicating with us, from the news to, to entertainment to music to media to social media, media, 
so many voices. And so few of them are from people of faith. In fact, they, they are often coming from an unbelieving worldview. So that even, you, you might say, well, what's the big deal? It's just a movie. Well, it is just a movie, but it's communicating a message. And often wrapped in the message are the underlying assumptions of an unbelieving worldview. We have to be on guard against that, especially in the day and age in which we live, especially. The other day, when, when was it? It was over Thanksgiving. We, we put on some football. God bless America. We watched football on Thanksgiving, all right? I was just shocked. It had been a long time since I had sat down and watched TV and football and just the, the commercials, just how much filth and debauchery and unbelief selling Coca-Cola, you know, and I like Coke, I drink Coke, you know, it's, it's great, you know, it's real healthy, no, I'm just joking, but I'm not trying to slander Coca-Cola, but what I'm saying is that there is a, a spirit at work in the world that's communicating a message, that's communicating underlying assumptions that are often unbelief. Unbelief does not communicate the worldview of, of the creator God who, who has given us his word. It's often values and, and, and ideas that are in contrast, in opposition to God's word. What I'm saying is that we need to not just soak it all in like a sponge. Amen. So he silences the voice of unbelief, which I think maybe as we're heading into the new year, maybe as we're heading into 2023, the Lord may begin to deal in our heart about, about certain things that we may need to prune from our lives. You know, Jesus says in John 15 that, that every branch that bears fruit, everyone that bears fruit, he prunes. He prunes the dead things out of our lives. Why? So that we could bear more fruit for him. So as we head into 2023, I think it would be an appropriate time to, to, to think, to pray, to meditate on, Lord, are there some dead things in my life that you would like to prune out as we head into the new year? Maybe there's some voices of unbelief that need to be silenced to, to make room for God and his word and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll amen myself. Amen. So the first is rebuke. Zechariah is rebuked. But notice Mary doesn't receive a rebuke. Rather, Mary receives a blessing. Mary receives a blessing. Verse 28. What does he say? Oh, favored one, blessed one, the Lord is with you. He says, do not be afraid for you have found favor. That's grace with God. So the, the two responses produce two different results. One, the response of unbelief that leads to a rebuke and a silencing. Well, the other, the response of faith that leads to a blessing. And we see these contrasts all throughout the scriptures of those who respond in unbelief and those who respond in faith. And what I want to follow up with us on from this morning is 
Let us be people that respond to the word of God in faith. Let us be people that say, I will stand with the word of God. I will believe the word. I will trust the word. I will obey the word. Because that is the path to blessing. The, the path of unbelief, the path of doubting God's word, that is the path of rebuke. But the path of belief and the path of faith, the, the path of humbling yourselves like Mary did, let it be to me according to your word, that is the pathway of experiencing God's blessing in our lives. I want to draw this contrast out for you further by looking at Saul and David. Saul and David, the first two kings of Israel. And as James was praying tonight, he, he referenced uh, the, the very passage I wanted to read tonight dealing with Saul from 1 Samuel chapter 15. These two first kings of Israel, they both were mighty men. They both were men of, of valor, men of courage, men of war that God used to subdue uh, his enemies. They both were also men that, that made some very serious mistakes. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gives Saul, the first king of Israel, some very specific instructions. Some very specific instructions. God was bringing judgment on a certain group of people for their sin, the Amalekites. And the, the instructions for Saul was that he was to, as an instrument of God, to bring judgment upon the Amalekites for their sin. He was to destroy them. These Amalekites had engaged in grievous and heinous sins, even child sacrifice. God was bringing judgment upon them for their sin, righteous judgment through the hand of Saul. But Saul did not obey the word of the Lord. Saul instead decided to go his own way. Saul rebelled against God, and instead of devoting everything to destruction as God had told him, instead he saved the best lambs, he saved the best sheep, he saved the best livestock, and he saved the king of the Amalekites, Agag, alive. And so when the prophet Samuel comes and sees what Saul has done, he challenges him on it because Saul it tells us that Saul had set up a monument to himself after this great battle. And when he sees Samuel, Saul says to Samuel, he says, blessed be you, this is verse 13 of chapter 15, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel comes and Saul says, I did everything the Lord said. I did exactly as it. Blessed are you and, and blessed be me because I, I fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. In verse 14, Samuel, this very famous line, he says, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? If you fulfilled the commandment of the Lord, why am I hearing the sheep? Why am I hearing the cattle? God commanded you to devote all of this to destruction as, a, as, as God's judgment. Verse 15, look at how Saul responds. They, 
They have brought them. He starts to blame the people. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. He says, it's not my fault, it's the people's fault. I wanted to do it, but, but they wanted to save the best. But they wanted to save it for a good reason. They wanted to do it to give an offering to the Lord. In verse 19, Samuel says, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Again, in verse 21, Saul says, But the people, the people took the spoil and the sheep and the oxen. It was the people's fault. He's, they're the ones that did it. And then here is the, the verse that uh, James quoted from tonight in verse 20, 22. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the, the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because, and hear me in this, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. This is what happens when we disobey the word of God. There is a pathway to blessing and then there is a pathway to rebuke and to judgment. The pathway to blessing is to humble ourselves under the word of God and to obey it and to fulfill it. The pathway of rebuke, of the chastening of the Lord, is the one that rejects the word of the Lord. These words are weighty. These words are heavy. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I, hear this, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. What was Saul's problem? Saul's problem was that he did not fear God, but rather he feared man. You see, the fear of man will lead you in the opposite direction of the fear of the Lord. Who are we going to fear? Who are we going to respect? Who are we going to care about? What God thinks or what everybody else thinks? Saul was to care about what God thought. He was the king of Israel. But he cared more about what the people thought. What are they going to think about me? How are they going to respond? Listen, we might not be the king of Israel, but God has given us authority. God has given us dominion. We need to exercise that authority and that dominion, not worried about what everybody else is going to think, but worried about obeying and following what God says. So fathers in your household, at times you'll be asked to obey the word of God. And guess what? Everybody might not like it. Everybody might not be on board. The, the children might not think it's a good idea for us to have discipline right now. Oh, well, we're going to obey the word of God. Or are we just going to worry about what everybody else is going to think? He says, I was afraid of the people and I obeyed their voice. He says, pardon my sin 
Return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel, verse 26, said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Verse 27, Samuel turns to walk away, and Saul grabs his robe, and as he grabs it, it tears. And Samuel turns to Saul and says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Samuel's pronouncement of the word of God upon Saul is that the kingdom was taken from him because he disregarded and rejected the word of the Lord. He did not humble himself under God's word. I want to contrast that with David. We see David commit an egregious sin as well in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we know the story. The sin that David commits with Bathsheba. It's not only the sin of adultery, but then he tries to cover it up. He gets her husband drunk. Her husband won't... Her husband's a more noble man than David, and so then David comes up with a scheme to have him killed. He has him killed. He then takes Uriah's wife to be his own wife, and then he sort of washes his hands and says, no one will ever know. But God knows. God always knows. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to go and speak to David and to confront him in his sin. And... He uses the parable, the, the story of the, the, the rich man who had a, a, a young lamb and, or, or the, the poor man who had a young lamb and how the rich man stole this poor family's young lamb. And, and, and David, when he hears this story of this parable, he, he's enraged at what this rich and wealthy, powerful man did to this weak and poor man and his family. And David, in rage, says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And then Nathan, the prophet, turns to David and says, you are the man. You are the man. Now, here's where I want to draw the contrast, because both Saul and both David sinned. Both Saul and both David disobeyed the word of God. But when confronted When confronted with the word, David responds in verse 13 by saying, I have sinned against the Lord. This is the difference. This is the difference between David and Saul. It's not that one sinned and the other didn't. No, they both sinned and they both sinned big time. But when confronted with their sin... David humbles himself under the word of God. Saul says, not my fault, it was their fault, not me, it was them. Saul doesn't humble himself, but Saul responds in pride. David humbles himself and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And because of David's humble response to the rebuke of the Lord, David's sin is forgiven. James chapter 4, verse 6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, Saul 
chose to rebel against the word of God and then when confronted with his sin, like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, remember when God confronted Adam in the garden, he says it's Eve's fault. She's the one. It's, it's her fault. God goes to Eve and Eve says it's the snake's fault. Just passing the buck. Saul does the same thing and the kingdom of Israel is torn from him. David, when confronted with the word of God, humbles himself and repents of his sin. That's the difference. You see, I believe that Saul had an opportunity to humble himself and repent. And that had he done that, his life would have been much different. Just as I believe with Zechariah would have been much different if he would have responded and said, I believe the word of God. I trust in the word of the Lord. He would have received a blessing and not a rebuke. You see, humbling ourselves under the word of God is the pathway to blessing. Even when we're confronted in sin and especially when we're confronted in sin, that's the moment that we can take our sin to the cross, take our sin to, to Jesus to, to, to go and to apply the effects of the gospel and to see the fruit of the gospel at work in our lives. You see, when we refuse to acknowledge sin for what it is, we rob ourselves of the healing power of the cross. As long as we live in the place where we don't think our sin is sin, we cannot apply the gospel but when we will humble ourselves under the word of God and take it to the foot of the cross, we receive healing and help from the Lord in our time of need. And that is the pathway of blessing. We could draw these contrasts all throughout the scripture. I won't take time to do that tonight. But I, I will draw your rem, rem, memory back to Hebrews chapter 11 as we studied the hallmark of faith, the, that great hall of fame. All of them who were not perfect, all of them who themselves committed their own acts of sin, but they responded in faith. They chose to believe the word of God. When they lived in faith, they walked in the blessing of God. I draw your memory to the disciples when Jesus was preaching and all of the crowds, crowds and the multitudes left him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter speaks up and he says, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You see, there will be crowds that fall away. There will be groups of people who do not follow Jesus. But the Lord, even right now, I believe, is separating the sheep from the goats. He is separating those who believe from those who do not believe. He, he is separating the crowds from the true disciples. The question that remind, remains for us is, is, will we be among the people, will we be among the crowds who say, this is a hard teaching, who can, who can stomach this? Or we, will we be like Peter who speaks up and says, these are the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? To, to humble ourselves under the word of God. This is the pathway to blessing. I want to close just by reading Psalm chapter 1, which highlights this, the blessing of God that comes to those 
who humble themselves under the word of God. Psalm chapter 1, really the, the gateway to the Psalms, placed here strategically by whoever put the, the Psalms in order. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man. And what, what's the pathway of blessing? What, what's the pathway to experiencing God's favor? Blessed is the man, and he starts with the negative and then he moves to the positive, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now that's, that's the negative. The, to, to, to experience it, God's blessing, we must not take counsel from the ungodly, from the world. We, we must not walk with sinners in the way that they live, in the lifestyle that they live. We must not let a, a, a heart of scoffing, a heart of mocking come and, and take, take root in our hearts. That's the negative. And then he moves to the positive. The, pa- the pathway of blessing is for those whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The, the, the pathway to blessing is those who meditate in and think on the word of God. Day and night, night and day. Where, where the Lord and his word and following him and being led by his spirit Seeking first his kingdom, where that is our preoccupying thought, that is the pathway to blessing. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This blessed man in verse 3, it says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water. Whenever I read this, I think of the huge cypress trees down at the Guadalupe River. Just these massive trees planted by streams of water. They, they grow up so tall, and it's, it's so amazing. How in the world can they get to be 100 feet, 150 feet in the air? It's because they have roots that have gone down deep. It says that he yields its, its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked, again, this contrasting statement, the unbelieving, those who do not love God, do not love his word, do not meditate on his law day and night, they are not like the tree, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. We don't know a whole lot about chaff these days because we're not in an agrarian culture, but we do know about tumbleweeds here in Texas. You can either be like a tree a great mighty redwood, a huge cypress, where you can be like a tumbleweed. Tumbleweed just goes wherever the wind blows. The wicked are like that. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This word know is a, is a word of closeness. It's a word of intimacy. When it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, it means the Lord sees the way that we live. He's intimately uh, involved in the every detail of our life. That his eyes are not far from us, but his eyes are right on us. He, he knows our path and that he's leading us and that he's guiding us and that he's blessing us. 
The pathway to blessing is the, the, the pathway that Mary chose. Not the one that Zechariah chose, but the one that says, let it be to me according to your word. The one that humbles ourselves under the word of God. Like David, when confronted with sin, that we don't blame everybody else, but we acknowledge our faults and our failures before God and that we take them to the cross and apply the gospel. And when we obey the word of God and meditate on his law day and night, we invite God's blessing into our life. When we meditate on the word, we're rooted, we're grounded, we're not easily shaken. When we obey God's word, we're inviting his kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom into our life. This morning I I talked about we can live in one of two worlds. We can live in the world of hath God said, questioning the word of God setting ourselves up as an authority over God's word, or we can live like Jesus did in the world of it is written. It is written. God's word says it, and that settles it. Which world are we going to live in? Are we going to live in the world of questioning God's word or obeying God's word, of submitting to his word? Are we going to live in the path of rebuke, or are we going to live in the path of blessing. As for me and my house, I want to live in that pathway of blessing. Amen. And I believe that you can too. You know, the beautiful thing about Zechariah is his story, it really turns out in a wonderful way. Elizabeth ends up giving birth, and when they come to ask him what the name should be, the Lord gives him back his voice. And he shouts out, the first thing he says is, his name is John. And they all say, how can you name him John? There's no relatives in your family that are named John. Where did you get this name from? And he just says, his name is John. And notice here what he's doing. As he names his son John, he's now doing what? He's submitting to the word of God. See, the angel had told him what to name the son. And as he he chooses in his heart, I will obey the word of God, his tongue is loosed and he's able to pronounce his name will be John. But his story doesn't end there. In fact, it says that he, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And it really is a story of redemption, a story that goes from rebuke to redemption. And so this is hopeful for all of us, wherever we may be in life. Maybe we've obeyed the word of God. Maybe we've disobeyed the word of God. But from this point on, we can move from the rebuke to the blessing. We can move from rebuke to redemption if we will take it to the cross and endeavor to obey the word of God. Listen to the prophecy that that Zechariah says. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we 
being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is Zechariah's story. This is Zechariah's arc. He, he went from rebuke to redemption. And all of us likewise can share in that if, if when confronted with the word of God, we will humble ourselves. Humble ourselves in repentance and choose to align ourselves with what the word of God says, and we see Zechariah doing that. The Lord looses his tongue, and he begins to speak. He begins to prophesy. And I don't know about you, but I want to be someone whose mouth is not filled with the words of unbelief, but are filled with the words of faith, of saying God's word is true, his promises are sure, we can trust in him, it is written, and that settles it. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that uh, you would just continue to press these truths down into our hearts. Lord, that we would be a people of it is written and not a people of half God said. Lord, I pray that we would, like David, humble ourselves whenever confronted with sin in our lives because it's at that point that the gospel can become effective.